Well, if, if your Bibles are not already open to Ephesians chapter 2, I pray, I not pray, I ask that you'd open there with me now. We're going to look this morning at verses 19 through 22, and I wanted the whole section read of which these verses are a part so you could see the whole context of what's going on here. But we're going to focus in on verses 19 through 22 and consider together today God's design for the church. God's design for the church as a spiritual structure. A spiritual structure, not just a physical place, but a spiritual people who have been and are uniquely designed and masterfully built by God to show forth His glory as we experience His grace and live together as His people. I think this text is very important for everyone in this room this morning and really for everyone in the world because here's what I know about, about you and about me and about every person everywhere. We are all longing for and searching for something to build our lives on. All of us. We're longing for and searching for a foundation to build our lives on. Something strong and steady that can hold us up in the storms and the trials of life. We're all looking for that. We're all longing for that. Second, we're all longing for and searching for a place to belong. Really, a people to belong to. A family. A place where we are truly known and where we truly know others. Where we love and where we are loved. We're all longing, searching for a place to belong. And finally, we're all longing for and searching for a purpose to be a part of. A focus for our lives. Something greater and bigger than ourselves that we can give ourselves to with all that we are. We're all longing for a purpose, searching for a focus. And what's great about this text that we're going to look at together this morning is that God in His kindness shows us here in these verses how He has designed the church to be the place, to be the people where we experience all these things that we're longing for, where we find all these things that we're searching for. That in Christ, as a part of His body, His family, His church, we experience, we find a foundation, a family, a focus and purpose for our lives. And that's what I want to talk about together today in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. God is the designer. He's the architect. He's the master builder of the church. And He designed the church to deeply satisfy these deep longings of our heart. And so today, we're going to look together at three features of God's grand design for His church with all of this that I've just shared in our minds and hearts. Here we go. Number one, God has designed us. He's designed the church. He's designed us as His people to build our lives on His Word and on Christ Himself. This is our foundation. 
God's design for us is that our lives, our church, is built on His Word and on Christ Himself. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul here is writing to the church at Ephesus. And in this section in Ephesians 2, he's helping the church at Ephesus see their true identity in Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, he's talked about the work of Christ and the activity of Jesus in saving his people. He starts off chapter 2 by talking about who we were in our sin and who we are now together in Christ. And now in this section, he's continuing to explain what the reality of that new identity truly is. Who we are now together in Christ. Verses 19 and 20. So then, he says, you are no longer strangers, aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being The cornerstone. In verse 19, in the first part, God, through Paul, begins by helping us see the bad news of who we were apart from Christ because of our sin. Because of our sin, apart from Christ, we're spiritual strangers. Alienated from God. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from each other. In our sin, we are spiritual orphans, we are God's enemies, and we are citizens of the kingdom of darkness. That's the bad news of who we were. But Paul continues, and in the second part of verse 19, he tells us the good news of who we are now in Christ because of God's grace. And church, it's amazing. As you hear this again this morning, this should spark joy in your hearts. As you see again the bad news of who you were apart from Christ, strangers, aliens, enemies of God, now see who you are because of God and His grace to you through Christ. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you see the grace and the glory in what God has done to change your identity, church. You were strangers, aliens, enemies. Now you are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Saints, members of God's household. You're now God's children. And as God's children, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. By grace, through faith, in Jesus You have been saved from God's wrath and you have been saved into God's family, the church. You're now members of his household. That's crazy. And it's really good news. And it's true. In Christ now, God is our father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's amazing. Now, God, through Paul, continues to explain this identity that we have. And as he explains it in verse 20, he tells us what our foundation is as members of God's household. What's the foundation that this house is built upon, this this family that we're now a part of in Christ? We'll look at verse 20. He says, 
says, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what is our foundation, church? Well, Paul says it's the apostles and the prophets. In other words, the God-inspired authors of God's inspired word. Our foundation is God's word. Our foundation is the scriptures. God has designed the church to be built on the foundation of his word. Jesus taught this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount recorded for us in Matthew's gospel. Jesus teaching there about who we are as God's people, members of his kingdom. And at the end of that teaching, at the end of that sermon about who God's people are and how God's people are to live, Jesus says at the end that if we hear his word and do what it says, that we're like people who built a house on a strong foundation, a sturdy foundation. So strong, in fact, that when all the hard things of life come at us, trials, suffering, temptation, opposition, when all those hard things come at us, if Jesus and his word are our foundation, then our lives will not collapse inward on themselves because Jesus himself will hold us up. His word is our foundation. When we hear it, when we respond to it, when we do what it says, And when God's word is our foundation, church, listen to this great news. Here's how the Spirit works in our lives and works in us together. The Holy Spirit grows us and strengthens us together with things like this. Security and stability in trials. Why? Because our lives are built on the unchanging, unbreakable promises of God. Second, the Holy Spirit grows us and strengthens us together with both breadth and depth of wisdom. God's Word grows us in godly wisdom, both in the breadth and in the depth of that wisdom, so that with the mind of Christ, we're able to think rightly and live rightly in in relationships, with our finances, in our sexuality, with the purpose of our lives. When God's Word is our foundation. The Holy Spirit grows and strengthens us together with nourishment and satisfaction for our hearts. The Bible says about itself that it's it's bread. It's, It's bread for our souls. Just like physical bread nourishes our physical body, so the bread of God's Word nourishes Christ's spiritual body. And it's really good food. It is the only food that can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And that's why in another place, Paul says this to the church at Colossae. It's up on the screens, Colossians 3, 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's a, that's a full picture of the church built on the foundation of God's Word. The Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Present in your, your teaching and correcting of one another in all wisdom. Present in your singing. 
present in the thankfulness of your hearts together to, to God. Jonathan Lehman, who's a pastor on the East Coast, says this about God's word as the foundation for God's people. Listen to this carefully. This is so good. He writes, the word of God does the work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in and through the people of God. Let me read that again. The word of God does the work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in and through the people of God. And then he expands it and he says the word reverberates as in an echo chamber. In a real echo chamber, sound reverberates off walls. In the church, it's the hearts of the people who both absorb and then project the sounds of God's word. Picture it this way. The preacher opens his mouth and speaks God's word. But the word doesn't just sound once. It echoes or it reverberates. It reverberates through the church's music and prayers. It reverberates through the conversations between pastors and members, members and guests older Christians and younger Christians. God's words bounce around the life of the church like the metal ball and the pinball machine. But the reverberating words shouldn't stop there. The church building doors should be open and God's words should echo out the doors, down the street, into the members' homes and workplaces. The reverberations of sound that begin in the pulpit should eventually be bouncing off the walls in dining rooms, kitchens, and children's bedrooms, off gymnasium walls, cubicle dividers, and the insides of city bus windows through emails, text messages, and Facebook pages, and Twitter feeds. God's Word is our foundation. One of the things I love most about Highlands Baptist Church, as I'm getting to know you, is that I believe this church has been built on the foundation of God's Word. And I see that clearly in things like this. In your Sunday worship gathering, you are very intentional as you gather to sing and to pray and to read and to preach and to celebrate and then to be sent out with the Word, to live the Word and share the Word with others. I hear that in the songs that you sing, in the prayers that you pray. I've listened to sermons that your pastors have preached There is a love for God's Word and a desire for this church to be built on the foundation of God's Word. In your equipping electives and Bible studies, took this right off your website. Here's the description of equipping electives. We aim to equip Christians to worship and serve Jesus in every facet of their lives. These classes are designed to be a community of learning and applying God's truth to our lives. In these studies, we seek to cultivate both the knowledge and the disciplines of loving God, loving others, and making disciples of Jesus Christ. That description sounds a lot to me like God's Word is your foundation. Home groups. In home groups, you live the Word together. By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God, you live the Word together. You encourage each other. You care for each other with the Word in community. In all of this, I see evidence of a deep value for God's Word and a commitment to God's Word being your foundation. This is the way that God has designed the church, to be built on the foundation of His Word. And at the end of verse 20, Paul says that Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation of God's Word. 
that the Word is the foundation and Jesus Christ Himself is the, is the cornerstone of that foundation. Look at, verse, look at the end of verse 20. It says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Now you may not know what the purpose of a cornerstone is in this kind of, of construction work. Here's what you need to know. The cornerstone is the most important part of the foundation. The cornerstone provides strength and sets the direction for the rest of the foundation and for the entire building. If the cornerstone is not strong and steady, then the rest of the foundation will not be strong and steady. If the cornerstone is out of alignment, going in the wrong direction, then the whole foundation is going to go in the wrong direction. And so what Paul is saying here is that Christ himself is to be the cornerstone of your foundation, of what your lives are built on, what this church is built on. Peter spoke of it this way in his letter, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6. He says, as you come to him, to Christ, here's who he is. It's on the screens. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Do you see the image? Christ is the cornerstone. His word is the foundation. You're living stones built upon that foundation, getting strength and direction from Christ, the cornerstone, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Do you hear those words this morning, church? Do you hear the kindness and the faithfulness of God to you this morning? Saying to you that if you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. And you may think, well, I'm not ashamed of anything. I don't worry about that. I know you. I don't know you, but I know you. I know we all in some way struggle with the reality of believing the lie that says we could never be good enough for God or anyone else to truly love us. We always battle this sense that we're not enough. Or maybe there's a kind of counterfeit thing that goes on in us and we say, yeah, I am enough. I'm pretty awesome. And here's what God's saying to you this morning. You're a sinner. And you deserve my wrath. But I love you. And I sent my son Jesus to live the life that you failed to live, to die the death you should die, to rise again, to conquer all of your greatest enemies. And now in him, there's no condemnation left. There's no shame left. God says, you're mine and I love you. And you will never be put to shame if Christ is your cornerstone. Our foundation, the word, Christ, number two. Second thing. God has designed us to belong to one another. To belong to one another and to grow in Christ together. The foundation we're looking for is God's Word and Christ. The family we're longing for is the church. Listen to this. Verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. Here's the picture. Different stones in this building that's, that's built on the foundation of the Word, Christ the cornerstone. Different foundations are, are different people connected to the foundation, connected to the cornerstone, and connected to one another. They belong to the cornerstone. They're built on the foundation, and they belong to one another. The stones are vitally connected, and therefore each have an important place and role in the building. The stones belong to one another because the stones were connected by the builder. And notice this. Without that connection, without that belonging reality, the building can't stand and rise up together. Look at this sanctuary, this gorgeous structure. There are different parts to this structure. There are these impressive beams There are these boards that are connected. There's walls that come down and windows. And in each place where the the different parts of this structure join one another, there is a vital connection that has to be in place for this building to stand. There are connecting points. And the different parts of the building belong together as they're connected together. And without that connection... This building would not stand. If you just took one of those massive beams and stood it outside by itself without being connected to a floor or a wall or a ceiling, that thing's going to fall over. But as it's connected to the other parts, it stands. It works. Because the different members of this structure are connected. They they belong. And, And in the same way, as God's people... In order to really be who God designed us to be, we need each other. We need connection with one another. We, we belong to one another. And the way that we belong together in the church is in gospel relationships. Gospel relationships. Let me explain what I mean. Our relationships with each other and with others are defined by and driven by the good news of Christ's gospel. Who He is, what He's done, who He is in us, and who we are in Him now define and drive the way our relationships work. That's a gospel relationship. The good news of that work of Jesus now defines and drives our relationships. And so let me me share some markers with you of, of what I think is present in a real gospel relationship where the good news of Christ is what's defining and driving us. Some markers, some characteristics. Number one, love. If we belong to each other in a gospel relationship, then love should be the dominant marker of that relationship. Jesus said, John 15, 12, that we are to love one another like He loves us. That our love for each other in these gospel relationships should be like Christ's love for us. Because it is Christ's love in us and through us. Love. Number two, honesty. Honesty. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as the truth, Jesus is working in his people to define them by truth and honesty. Part of what that means is that that we're willing to be open and honest about our brokenness and our weakness. 
We can say in honesty, you know what? I'm not okay right now. Right now, who I am at my core, it's not real good right now. I'm not putting up a veneer, no facade. I'm honestly not okay, and neither are you. In 1 John, John calls that walking in the light together. That we're not hiding, we're not pretending, we're not covering up or self-justifying. We're willing to confess our sins to one another, to admit our weaknesses to one another. Honesty. Number three, accountability. Accountability. Pastor named Matt Chandler, who pastors in Dallas, describes accountability this way. Accountability includes honesty, where we say, I'm not okay. But then it also includes this reality, it's not okay to stay that way. I'm not okay. It's not okay to stay that way. That with your help, I want to walk forward in faith. With your help, I want to turn from my sin. With your help, I want to walk in the power of Christ's Spirit within me. In the midst of my weakness, I want His power to shine out through my weakness. Accountability. Number four, risk. There's risk in gospel relationship, church. If we're going to be open with each other, honest with each other, then the very real possibility is that we're probably going to hurt one another. At some point, we're going to let each other down. We're going to say something that we shouldn't have said or not say something that we should have said or say something that we should say in a way that we shouldn't say it. That's the risk of being in real relationship with people. There's a risk of being hurt. It hurts, but it's worth it. And what makes it worth it is the presence and power of Christ that's revealed in us when we live that way, especially with the fifth characteristic, and that's grace. If we are people who've received the grace of Jesus, then by His grace at work in us, we become people who extend grace to others. Who forgive. Who are willing to ask for forgiveness. When we're marked by grace, we're, we're quick to listen. We're slow to speak. We're slow to become angry. We're quick to seek and to grant Forgiveness and church, this is the place where we really grow. When we belong together in relationship, marked by these things, we grow together in Christ. And He grows in us. God has designed us to belong to one another and to grow in Christ. So the foundation is Christ in His Word. The family is the church where, where we together belong to Christ and to one another. Last, last thing, number three. God has designed us to be a community where other people meet and experience Christ. God has designed us, the church, to be a community, to be a family where other people meet and experience Christ. Look at the end of verse 21 into verse 22. Paul says, being joined together, us as God's people are joined together, we grow, he says, into a holy temple in the Lord, Verse 22, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The temple, as, as God led his people in the Old Testament into worshiping him, into life with him, the temple was a place where God met with his people. 
and where people would come to meet with Him, to experience His glory and His grace. And the temple was the place where the presence of God dwelt. His name was famous there. And what's amazing about what Paul is saying here, really what God is saying through Paul, is that now in Christ, we're the temple. We are the place where the presence of God dwells. Where the grace and the glory of God are on display. We are the people in whom the Spirit of God lives now. And the Spirit of God works through us to help the world see and experience the grace and the glory of Jesus. That's incredible. That's a miracle. That's great news. But how does that work? How does the Spirit of God work through us as the new temple of God to help the world see and experience the grace and the glory of Jesus? Well, let me show you one way. There's multiple ways, but let me show you one way. Romans 15, 7. I want you to look at this verse with me. It's up on the screen. It says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I don't know if you've never thought about it this way before, but, but if you take out the middle part of the verse, it, it might still sound kind of right to us. Like in the first part, we're told what to do. Welcome one another. And in the third part, we're told why we should do it for the glory of God. And all that sounds right. Welcome one another. That's what you do for the glory of God. That's why you do it. But here's what I want you to see. Without the middle part, we cannot and will not do what God is actually calling us to do. The middle part says, as Christ has welcomed you. As Christ has welcomed you. This is both the picture of how we are to welcome one another in a way that glorifies God. And church, listen to this. This is the power we need to actually do it. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's what it should look like. How has Christ welcomed you? Sacrificially. He gave Himself so that you could be welcomed into His family. Graciously. He didn't say to you, okay, get all your best stuff together. The history of your life, the way you've lived, show me that, that you're worthy of this and then I'll welcome you. No, He welcomed you graciously. He's welcomed you so patiently. I mean, let's be honest, church. In many ways, in our relationship with the Lord as members of His household, we're a lot like little kids that just keep running through the mud and keep dragging it through the house. I do it and you do it. And Jesus is so patient with us in His welcome. He's kind. He's merciful. That's how He's welcomed us. And listen, without His welcome, working in your heart, working in your life, you won't be able to welcome other people like that. And neither will I. His welcome is both the picture 
and the power. And here's the truth up on the screens. We will not become people who joyfully extend the welcome of Jesus to others until we become people who joyfully receive the welcome of Jesus for ourselves. We won't. And so if in some way in your life you're stiff-arming the welcome of Jesus right now, if in some way you're holding Him at a distance and not receiving the welcome He's offering you in the way that He's offering it to you, if you're like, no, I've got to keep showing Him, I've got to keep showing other people. I've got to keep proving that I'm worthy of that welcome. Then you're not going to be able to welcome others because you're going to expect them to prove it to you all the time. If, if you're like, yeah, I'm, there's no way he could want to welcome me. I'm too messed up. I'm too sinful. You don't know my past. You don't know my present. Until you lay all of that down and say, Jesus, I receive your welcome. You're not going to be able to welcome other people. And neither will I. But as we receive the welcome of Jesus, humbly, joyfully, continually rejoicing in the welcome we've received, the Spirit will work in us to welcome other people. And particularly, we will pursue people who are lonely, disconnected, and are living a lot of their life feeling like they're not welcomed anywhere. That's the mission of Jesus. To pursue people who are disconnected from God and from God's people. To tell them the good news of Christ and His work and His welcome. And, and to invite them to trust Jesus in faith and receive His welcome into His kingdom and to be a part of His family. That's what God sends us to do. As people who've received His welcome for ourselves, Jesus makes us people who extend His welcome to others. And so here's a question I'd love for you to think about this morning. Who do you know personally who doesn't know Jesus personally who you can pray for this week? What are their names? Pray for them this week. Pray for the Spirit to work in their heart in some way to help them see that all the things they're longing for will never be satisfied by anything in this world and then pray for opportunities to be in their life to tell them that Jesus will satisfy all of those things as he saves them from their sin and into his family. Pray for them. Who do you know personally who doesn't know Jesus personally who you could welcome into your home for a meal this week to experience around your table the welcoming love of Jesus that has welcomed you to the table? Who do you know personally who doesn't know Jesus personally who you could introduce Jesus this week. Who you could share the good news of what Jesus has done, does, and will do. Who you can tell the true story of what Jesus has done in your life to welcome you into his family. Who do you know who doesn't know Jesus personally? Who you can love with the love of Jesus and share the good news of Jesus with this week? Because here's the truth. They're longing for and searching for something to build their life on. They're longing for and searching for a place to belong. They're longing for and searching for a purpose and a mission for their life. And the ultimate answer to all of those really important questions, desires, is Christ. Jesus. He is 
our foundation. He has made us His family. He has given us that mission. And so this week, church, with the power of the Spirit in us, let's go live that mission.